G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, and those in life chat music, and more. I'm John Merch, the producer and host. And recently I was heading to the doctors, and as I was walking there, I saw a poster out of the corner of my eye. In fact, it was just behind me. I just had turned around and I had to turn back, as it was for today's guest, They were going to be performing at the Regal Theatre here in South Australia for their end-of-year performance, so festive tunes and the like. Regal Theatre is an amazing cinema. Normally shows movies like The Bond, No Time to Die and other huge blockbusters as well as sometimes some classic films. The kind that need the whole acoustic space to thoroughly enjoy the performance of the film or in this case, the artist who's singing within it. And without a lie, this singer knows how to fill every crevice and entertain big time. So back from 2014, here is a chat that was recorded with them as they had just released the Songbird release and touring with a musical as well. It's time now to dive into the archives. Marina Pryor, welcome to Radio Notes. Oh, thank you. You're about to go back onto the theatre boards to do a bit of Cats to uh, warm up the vocals uh, for the Harvest Rain group. This is returning to a musical you absolutely adore. Yeah, look, I did this back in, like, it feels like 1934, but it was in the mid-late 80s. I think it was 1987 I did Cats. And uh, I played a kitten, <laughs> whereas now I'm going back and I'm playing Grizabella, the old jaded glamour cat, she's called. I have such wonderful memories because I was in the, you know, the, the premiere, so when it was very, very new and no one had ever experienced this sort of bizarre musical before. So it'll be lovely to revisit it. And obviously it's not art imitating life because in no way have you become that over the years. <laughs> The jaded, kind of bedraggled glamour cat. I hope not. (laughs) We'll have to see. What's been keeping Marina Pryor so youthful over the years? Has there been a particular regime of health (laughs) and fitness or have the young ones been keeping you on your toes? Well, look, it's a bit of all of that. I have uh, five children. I have three of my own and two stepchildren. That can keep anyone kind of on their toes. And I think they, look, you know, I have a teenage daughter and you have to kind of keep young, you know, in terms of attitude to be able to communicate with your kids, I think. But also, I think when you're working in theatre and performance, you are your product and, you know, your voice is, it emanates from you. And so you have to be as fit as possible and when I go into a tour or a long run of a show I treat it as if I'm training for a marathon just make sure I keep myself really fit and I can't afford to be sick because your voice is everything so I guess I do I you know I'm probably a little bit boring I probably look after myself only last year did you start doing what's called a concert series of your music what was that experience like when you first did that first gig it is gigging really it is. I just loved it. I toured, we did about 38 shows, um, actually three nights in Adelaide, in the Astor Theatre, is it in Kensington? Yeah, I think it is. The uh, it, yeah. is, is, Am I calling it the right name? Yeah. Is it the Regal or the Astor? 
Oh, you're, you're the regal. You're correct. It just looks like it should be called the Astor because it's a beautiful Art Deco place that is, um, you know, is used as a cinema, but they also use it as a cabaret and performance venue. And it was absolutely beautiful. And we're coming back to Adelaide um, for this concert tour, and I'm doing the Dunstan Playhouse at Festival Centre. You're not just doing the Dunstan, you're also doing the Middleback Theatre there in Wyala. And, uh, yeah. And a matinee show at the Barossa Valley. Now, obviously, if people get organised, this may have already sold out, but a matinee show at the Barossa Arts and Convention Centre would be just the perfect way of spending an afternoon. Yeah, wouldn't it? You know, it's a good thing because people can be sipping on beautiful Barossa wines and the more they drink, the better I sing, as far as I can tell. So I just think it's probably a good idea. Where does that self-deprecation come from? I don't know. I think it's just very, very healthy to have a grounded sense of what you do. You know, it's I'm incredibly privileged to be in the position that I'm in to make my living doing what I love doing more than anything else in the world. And luckily for me, for 30 years now, people have wanted to come along and hear me sing. But I think you've always got to remember that, you know, it's not... It's not brain surgery and I'm not saving the world. I'm entertaining people. And while I take that incredibly seriously and I have a great reverence for entertainment and singing, I think that once people start to believe their own publicity, I honestly believe that something is lost in the performer. I don't want to see someone through a veil of ego. I actually want to just see the real performer and uh, yeah I think you have to be careful in this industry because there's a lot of ego and it's not I don't think it enhances your work personally you mentioned before that you do have a teenager and won't get too Mm. personal because we're not here to do that but I want to ask about music and that teenager and you're talking about the ego do you look at some of the musicians that may be that teenager and share with us if you if you can or would like uh, who they are have a bit of ego that you'd like to clip them behind the ear that maybe the teenager (laughs) is listening to yes look I'm my my daughter is uh, turning 18 and she funnily enough though has a really eclectic and interesting musical taste and the people that she likes she likes Lana Del Rey and she likes uh, Ed Sheeran she tends to like the more singer-songwriters and the people that really genuinely have talent rather than she's not really into Kanye West and you know like rappers and th- like those people I'm just not into uh, I know lots of people are, but I'm not into the whole rap thing. But the people that she likes are actually really, you know, like really interesting. And I think there's some fantastic young talent out there. I think that's fantastic. But look, yes, there's a hell of a lot of posturing. But it tends to be the kind of whole rapper kind of scene that I'm not really into. But luckily, she's not really into either. So there's no collaboration between the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra, your good self, and 360 coming up anytime soon? <laughs> oh, me, and, me and Snoop Dogg? No. No. I don't think so. I just don't think so. I, don't think, I think there's a bit of a clash of demographic there. <laughs> Let, let's get back to your music. Particularly, I want to have a chat regarding yeah. the song that you've put out there, which I was pretty sure you'd released before, but it is currently the single. It's called Songbird, for which the yeah. tour takes its name as well. Yeah. But if we dig even deeper, it is one of only four tunes written solely by Christina Fleetwood, Mac, off the Rumours album. Is that why you chose the song? What is the reasoning behind Songbird and Marina Pryor? Um, You know what? When I was first 
starting out, I was a folk singer. And so when I was, I put myself through, like when I was at school, everyone else worked at Coles or whatever. And I used to busk and play the guitar and sing. And then I started working underage in pubs and like kind of uh, folk clubs, acoustic kind of venues. And I did that right through uni. And it was my means of making money and it was also the music that taught me how to sing. I grew up with Kate Bush and Fleetwood Mac indeed and Simon and Garfunkel, Joni Mitchell, James Taylor, people like that and so Songbird, the Fleetwood Mac song, was very much of my era when I was when I was a teenager and it was one of the first songs that I fell in love with and it was so beautifully written for a, a woman's voice. I used to sing it and really relate to it when I was in my teens. And then a couple of years ago, I released my first album in a long time, which was all that singer-songwriter, folk, acoustic-type music that I grew up singing. I chose that song because I have a real connection with the song, and I think it's really beautiful. And the record company were obviously trying to find a song that mm-hmm. kind of could be a title for the tour, and I thought... Songbird, it's kind of my job, isn't it? It's kind of what I've been doing for years and years. And I, yeah, I just, I've always loved the song. It's not, it doesn't sound like any other song. Superstar is a Carpenter's song. My favourite interpretation of cover of that up to now, I guess, was that of uh, Sonic Youth and and their version thereof. Yes. What is it about Superstar, the song? Well, funnily enough, the way that I work, I have the most amazing musical director and piano player, David Cameron, who uh, is the musical director of all of my last three albums. And he's, you know, like my family. He's been my piano player for 22 years. And quickly on that, you bring him on tour as well, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I don't go anywhere without him. (laughs) (laughs) The other man in your life. He is the other man in my life. And because we are so... We kind of have such a simpatico musically and as people. We actually, to do Superstar, both of us have always loved the song. I love the song. I love, I think being an actress too and a, and a you know, a theatrical animal, I love any song that has a storytelling aspect and a song that creates a definite mood or an ambience. And the thing about Superstar to me, it just always sounds like lonely, late night moody, sexy, but yet it's such a raw song about somebody that is, you know, it's about unrequited love and somebody who's been loved and left. And uh, so the way that we recorded it is actually we went into the studio and I said I wanted to start it with a kind of like a heartbeat sort of boom, 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 boom sort of sound. To me, it's all about the heart, the song. And so we put that heartbeat down and then he played keyboard and I sang but we actually just recorded it live we actually just went for it and didn't plan anything and we just got a tape we just did it on the spot and then added a little bit of bass a little bit of acoustic guitar but not and a little bit of bvs but really um it was just a kind of one take raw thing where we both kind of were sort of in uh sympathy with each other about what we felt about the song that's the sounds of Superstar done there by Marina Pryor, who's on the line to talk about up-and-coming tour. Yeah. Is there a gender divide when it comes to songwriting? Wow. Uh, you mean stylistically? And also emotively as well, because we're talking yeah. about a song called Songbird, as I said, written by Christine by herself. Yeah. 
I've always, and I guess it's because I'm a female, but I've gravitated towards a lot of female songwriters and I think it is maybe because they are more overtly emotional. My favourite songwriter and artist ever has always been Joni Mitchell since I was a kid. Her songs are so personal that sometimes you feel like you shouldn't be listening to them. <laughs> They're so, you know, she was famous for writing songs that were so deeply personal and she's such an extraordinary wordsmith that she just, once again, being a theatre performer, she creates a great script for you to sing. Likewise, like Christine McVie, that the songbird song is just so, it is sort of feminine by nature. I can't imagine a male singing it. I'm sure one probably has. Sharing that to the audience night after night, sometimes when you don't feel like it. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you don't feel like it. <laughs> you know, uh, particularly, you know, when, we, when you're working in theatre specifically, because if you're doing a long running show, it's eight shows a week. And it's day in, day out. You can't dump a song. No, you really can't. The thing is, though, I think there is something, part of what I love about, one of the aspects I love about performance, or the one that I embrace, is the discipline of it. And that is the ability to be able to, even if you've had a terrible day and, you know, you've, things have happened in your life where you're kind of a little raw or bereft, there's a point where, you know, you walk out and the footlights hit you and you're actually just trained to switch into performance mode. And I kind of embrace that. And sometimes that's, it can be a very cathartic experience um, performing on stage if you're wanting to express something. It can be actually, I think it can be very healthy. Probably haven't, you know, needed therapy over the years because I pour it out to 1,000 anonymous people each night. When you're on stage and, of course, in musical theatre, there's a lot singing yeah. about uh, love and loss, yeah. you would have gone through your own personal ups and downs and tribulations during that time as well. Yeah. Was it confusing sometimes? Mm, was it confusing? I guess it's easy for co-stars to in movies and in shows or whatever to fall in love with each other because you have to tap into some sort of truth to be able to play the scenes. But, look, is it confusing? No. I haven't personally found it confusing. But, you know, I've experienced love and loss like everybody else. You're on stage singing about uh, the world's lovely and this is lovely and I'm in love, but at the same time, and whilst you're there and your job is there to perform and you've got to bring it, things backstage may not have been so good and I just, yes. that conflict... <laughs> Believe me, yes, absolutely, because not everybody you work with is generous and wonderful. And that's, as I said, that's... That's that breaking news. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, I could honestly say that most people I've worked with are. Don't back down. Truth. No, that is the truth, but not all. No, not all. But that's where the whole, the discipline aspect comes in where you know you're there you have to find a way to become that character in that moment and that's the that's the beauty of being an actress is that you actually have to create what is not there because otherwise you're just being yourself I mean you can't you know you can't bring your present state of mind 
into every performance. You just can't. I like that discipline. I really do like that. I find that really challenging. Marina, your charity work has been exemplary over the years. Are you still as keen as ever? And uh, what are you currently up to that you might like to share? I always work for an organisation called Very Special Kids, run by this amazing woman called Sister Margaret Noon. It's a basically a palliative care place for kids to go who are at the end of their lives. Mm. Um, and it's not like a hospital and it's, uh, it's got facilities for the family and siblings to live in as well, which is fantastic. And they have a lot of uh, caring programs for siblings of kids that are terminally ill. Uh, that's something I'm very passionate about at the moment. Um, previously, I've worked with a wonderful organisation called Samaritan's Purse, mm-hmm. and uh, that is started by Bob Reed, who started World Vision. And, and originally, it was a medical mission, and now it's basically they've branched out to all sorts of uh, aid, particularly to developing countries. So they do a lot of work in Cambodia, Thailand, New Guinea, a lot of Asia Pacific and a lot of Eastern European countries and they are just extraordinary. And look, that's one of the great things I think about if you work in an industry where you have a bit of a profile, you get asked to do things. When you're working, giving to a community or a project or an organisation, it makes you feel great. You know, there is a, I guess there's a selfish aspect as well because you you feel good about the world and about yourself when you're able to step into what other people are doing that is really great. You've also been hanging out with Rotarians as well. I saw some massive audiences there. Yes, that was an absolutely mind-blowing experience. (laughs) Only recently got to sing for over 20,000 people. Not many? No, not many at all. Just a little intimate crowd from all over the world. It was for the International Rotarian Convention and I sang with the wonderful Ten Tenors and they were just, uh, they're amazing. They're like rock stars, you know, they, gee, they were fantastic. Well, there was ten of them. There was only one of me. I felt a little outnumbered, but uh, you're they used were to... amazing. Marina Pryor, I do want to get back to the current work you're doing with kids yes. who are terminally ill. The reason yes. being you've got five children in your life, yes. but it must also bring you back to when the children were growing up as well and thinking I want all kids to have just a good life as they did. Oh look absolutely I think any any parent look uh, any decent person is going to feel that they're going to want to do something if asked for sick kids I mean who who wouldn't but I think when you're a parent yourself you know my youngest is only 10 mm. uh, I've got small kids I, I uh, you know I just I am weeping at the thought that anything would be wrong with them and that's just a primitive maternal instinct and uh, when I'm working with sick children of course I always relate it back to my own kids and think oh god thank god that they're not unwell. Final question Marina Pryor for you and it is on kids it is on music it is the question of music and the future Are we in safe hands in the music that we're producing at the moment? Is there a future for music in our society? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think with talent shows like The Voice and Australian Eye and all that sort of thing, a lot of people in the industry say, oh, you know, it's terrible, it's a machine, it's manufactured. It can be all those things, but actually what it does is it gives a platform for young talent to actually 
be seen. And, you know, there is amazing talent out there. There's something about Australia, and I have a feeling it's because perhaps we're geographically a little isolated, which is I think is a cool thing, that we develop our own style and our own unique brand of performance. I think that Australia will always be a force to be reckoned with musically. I think we're a dynamic and creative country. And the best way of seeing music is live. Maria Pryor, thank you very much for your time today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks to Marina Pryor from 2014 for that chat. I hope you enjoyed that back from, as I said, 2014. Marina is still touring. She is an absolute powerhouse when it comes to live performance and music. I've spotted that she might even be here in South Australia, the Barossa, next year. Not too sure. What I can tell you about next year is season four of our very podcast will be happening. We'll kick it off with Kyan Burns from Gawler. Also, I'll slip in one more episode, which will be like a compilation of this very season three before the end of the year as well. Thanks very much for listening. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. Thank you.